Check Podcast, Episode 9, HTRversary 2. Welcome back to the Duck Podcast. We're here in Duck Studios um, here We're in Quinbrook. HTR headquarters. HTR headquarters, of course. Um, we are celebrating HTR's second anniversary, um, which is April 1st. It's 12.08 here. Um, so before we start anything, we're just going to open a bottle of non-alcoholic sparkling, um, pure, apple sparkling juice. pure apple juice. Didn't you say it was raspberry? Why did you well, say raspberry? Well, no. Uh, actually, no. I thought you had the raspberry. Oh, we opened a now. bottle of raspberry, and then it occurred to us. Well, we un- like untook the wrapper off, <laughs> anyway. and we realized <laughs> that it wasn't corked, so it would have been totally lame if we had just sort of opened it on air, and it just sort of this So we're opening the official champagne. I probably won't be able to do it because I always fail at doing this. So here we go. Do not spill it everywhere, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Well, don't. Okay, there we go. go. You probably couldn't hear that. Anyway, so there we go. We have officially welcomed the official official HTR HTR year two um, sparkling sparkling apple juice. Beverage, okay. And maybe Yuri will come over and pour us some for us (laughs) and continue on with the show. Uh, Yuri (laughs) Yuri is currently... Yuri is currently weeing it up. (laughs) Nintendo Wii, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, so Duck, Duck Episode 9. Um, so I thought maybe we should start off talking a little bit about the futures of HDR. Um, it's been two years since we registered the official HDR.net domain. Of course, last year there was a sort of a major problem regarding registering yeah, domains. Yeah, didn't get index. renewed last yeah. year. <laughs> so it sort of hindered the celebration a bit, but yeah, actually uh, they started uh, doing automatic renewals, so that's uh, something that's... Uh, Sort of useful, except yeah. unless you're trying to get rid of the domain, in which case they, they uh, yeah, you don't want to have it renewing it automatically, and you know you didn't actually want that. Um, but yeah, it's been uh, pretty good. So um, yeah, about the future okay. of HTR. So you like want to talk about uh, HTR Media, sort of like those rental yeah. production companies. Yeah, production. Because one of the things, in fact, I'm going to jump around here because whatever, we never follow the actual order of things. Um, so a few weeks ago we did, um, a big production. It was for this grad fashion show at our school. Um, and we really pulled it together. I think one of the goals of mine to do at school over the past, you know, it's always been sort of a goal of mine is to do a live video stream. Um, we'd have, you know, a camera set up that would stream to a computer or maybe, um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, maybe a video s- video selector, you know, whatever, and then we would project that onto screens, and people don't see everything, and it would be super awesome. And we actually managed to pull it off. Um, we at, were hope- at a very short notice. It was sort of it was a very, very short notice. Minutes. It was like literally like you know, twenty four hours <laughs> ahead of time. So it was pretty good. Um, so what we 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 put together with Dscaler and sort of some PowerPoint. And uh, you know, just an old composite video card. Mm-hmm. As um, you may or may not know, like uh, on Windows, there's a magical overlay color which you can just like print screen to, to, to obtain. It's something like beyond 256, but 255 uh, beyond 255. Okay, well, right. something Zero around like that. Like it, it randomly triggers the the video card to go into overlay. So whenever you have that color enabled, the video card automatically makes whatever you're showing transparent, and then like shows whatever you had underneath that through as video. So yeah. So if you if you had Dscaler running full screen in the background, you can disable which is always D-scaler on top. is like a, a video. It's it a it's a video, video. deinterlace tool. It has its own drivers and. 
I we may or may not have mentioned this in previous episodes, but um, anyway, so if you have PowerPoint showing that color and you have Dscaler running behind it, you can have when you get to the slide with that color, it, all the video from Dscaler will basically get pulled through to through the presentation. This is all handled on board the video card. So right. So it's it's not it's there's no delay or anything. Well, there's some. It's delay, very low it's delay. It's very low latency. So um, we use that, and it worked really well. Um, so anyways, as we did that, and so we, we, we had like a whole rig. And the, the beauty, the, what I loved about it most is we had like a satellite station. Because what was going on is I had all, these, all this sound stuff that I was queuing on my laptop, which we send out, out of the M-Audio box we had over XLR to Kevin's main mixer was off to the side. Um, and of course, I was also controlling the camera from that area, so that's why I sort of yeah. The reason why we had the satellite station right. was that so Joel could con so control that I could do the, the camera. camera. And Matt was streaming video over like this thick coax cable to the computer on the other end, and then that streamed to VGA. So, um, yeah, Kevin, we were experimenting with spitting. Yeah, and basically the night before, I had to whip up a lot of uh, TRS yeah. to so XLR we, cables because we, we had yeah. to run everything through We had to run everything lines. to the satellite station. Anyways, so it was really neat, and I think it was just sort of mm -hmm. like we had officially gone 100% pro. Like, I mean, we maybe all of our equipment isn't exactly, you know, pro level. I mean, we're not – we don't have production cameras, and we're still using Dscaler. But, I mean, there there was almost no difference between – the experience that you got at that fashion show in con comparison to something that you would experience at the Shaw or uh, like a conference center. Um, so it was really great. Anyway, so it was just, you know, and so well, of course it was our, it was our $11 solution to a video mixer. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't really mixing any video. It was sort of switching between static slides and, uh, and actual video. Yeah. And it, you know, but it wasn't bad. It was pretty good. And um, I think there's, with a bit of software, there's a lot you can do, you know, fairly simply with this Wirecast product. And um, so anyways, what I was thinking is that we could turn HTR into sort of a, a media company. Well, I'm maybe not turn it into a media company, but like diversify into... Diver exactly, into diversify. Um, I mean, it's not like we've done too much web dev work in general. I mean, it's always been sort of a hope to host. But I mean, really, the hosting business isn't exactly a profitable one. Profitable one. Um, so yeah, I mean, we could become, you know, really, we aren't um, experienced. We don't have a lot of equipment. But I mean, one of, the, one of the comments that one of our teachers made, and she's in charge of all the whole grad show. I mean, we have a huge high school, so she's, she's in charge of most of it. And she said that one year, um, and I think it was last year, they asked it to be videotaped. Um, you know, it was a similar situation, but it was at a big conference center. They asked um, for them to record the ceremony, and it turned out that they just, you know, forgot to turn the machine on. The tapes were in, everything was good, but they didn't turn the stupid recording machine on. So, I mean, we're pretty good. We're not pros, but, I mean, we're very experienced. And so we could offer an alternative um, sort of, media rental service providing uh, company um, for about half the price. And we'd still be making money, um, but we, j we just wouldn't be charging ridiculous prices that, you know, some of the other companies do. So, I mean, it's just an idea. Um, I haven't discussed any, you know, I haven't even discussed this with Kevin, but I just thought I'd bring it up. Mm -hmm. So, um, 
what's new at AHTR? We're, well, I'm planning on doing a major network overhaul here right now. Uh, this, the network topology is really awkward. We have basically five-port consumer-grade $30 five-port switches. They're basically hooked everywhere, like here and Around there. The house. And then, uh, and then we just have one gigabit link linking each switch to the other. So this is not trunking at all. So basically, if you wanted to send, if you had two computers trying to send files to each other, it would be trying to sh cram everything through that one gigabit wire link between everything and everything. Now that's Anyone who's been working on business-grade net business networking knows that that's totally not, not efficient. So uh, basically, I'm going to get a, I'm thinking of getting a 24-port uh, gigabit switch, managed switch. And this way, I, I, it can use the internal switch's fabric, which is the fabric is the, the amount of data that I can all shove together, shove around the switch at, at a given point in time. So, um, so uh, if I can, it, that means I can have everything running along at wireline speeds. And then if I need to add switches later, I can use fiber gigabit or just copper gigabit and trunk. So I can have multiple redundant lines going there. And then if I have, say, two lines going from switch to switch, I can have double throughput, which is something you can't do with consumer-level switches. Also, I can, I can do a VLANs, virtual LANs, and basically switch break the switch up into multiple parts. So I could have all the servers on a separate switch and... Virtual switch. Yeah, and then uh, and all the workstations on a different switch. So if, say if I'm doing like massive backups from server to server, it won't affect the, the traffic on the workstation network. And say workstation to internet or... And also I can do a port-level hardware-based... Uh, uh, quality of service, class of service, which allows me to say give give the VoIP machine dedicated access to the to the internet, so for best quality. So those are some of the things I can do with it. Also, I'm I'm planning on doing a full star formation, as I said, and uh, and basically so that means running one wire to each 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 uh, node or compute. That would be a printer, computer, device, sling box. Yeah. So it, you know, right now there's sort of this, uh, you know subdividing as the cable goes out from sort of the main internet connection and out to the house. And this way you just have one wire for each uh, node on the network. Mm -hmm. it'll, make um, it, it'll make for a large bundle of wires. I'm yeah, there's a lot of wires and it would sort of look like a big, you know, uh, if you go into the data centers, like it's just this big amount of um, cables. Uden wishes best wishes. I don't think he's been, I don't know if he's been on our show before, but he's a friend of ours. Um, uh, so I was just wondering, like, for what about wireless clients, and how does that uh, work into um, the wi the wired switching uh, sort of layout? Well, uh, right now I just have a, a high end consumer grade uh, n gigabit n router. It's it's designed to be used as a complete router switch wireless access point. However, I, I never use that. Those, that equipment for actual uses like that. So basically, in the future, I will plan on just having one line running to that and just using it as an access point with uh, web administration. And basically, it's just a bridge bit, bridge between physical layers, between wireless physical and, and copper physical. Right. And basically, all the things that get connected through that is just going to get turned into copper gigabit. So right. it's just going to be a dumb sort of a, a bridge between, between transports. Right. So I was just... You know, I and I was also thinking of using a power over Ethernet so I could right, put so it up in a high place everywhere. and then just be like, yay, one wire. Yeah, so just as I think about that, that's sort of the reasoning or the idea behind having multiple access points is that um, if you have 
you know, besides obviously the obvious, you know, signal things, signal uh, issues is if you have more than one access point, um, the bandwidth can be managed more efficiently than if you just had one with antennas everywhere. Well, if, if you're actually having multiple access points, if your location is extremely big and you can't cover it with one or two, then it's a good idea to have a wireless switch, which is, which is a switch that is smart enough to figure out that traffic is coming from one location or another. Because wireless, you also have issues relating to roaming, because the nodes can be just magically switching from one access point to the other without telling anyone so, uh, or yeah. telling any of the equipment. So. And, and so once you have that working properly, like I know um, at the university, uh, we've tested this before, it works beautifully. Like we took a PDA, um, we started in uh, one building, connected to the wireless there, and set up, you know, Skype, and we walked. I just walked from one building to the next. I walked outside. I walked probably, you know, I probably hopped across a good three or four access points, and it just, you know, I kept on talking over Skype. So it, it really does work beautifully once you get all that routing um, properly done. Anyway, so that's uh, just a little networking thing going on. Um, and, and, of course, like for my purposes, I find that uh, wireless isn't the best solution. It's, it's good for when I have like no ports at yeah. all and lots of people are bringing computers in, but it's not as fast as gigabit, and that, that's why I'm still sticking with wired. Yeah, there's a really interesting article. I think it's on Apple Insider. Um, and they just go over like all the, you know, they look at wireless versus wired um, and just exploring uh you know what 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 all these technologies mean you know when people say that n has a, th a throughput of 300 megabits per second it's not you, really you'd like say right you'd, you'd say well well why would i use wired megabit or t a 100 megabit um instead of wireless well the fact is you're only going to get you know maybe a quarter of that over wireless so it it gives you some really good interesting data about um actual throughput um the overhead of everything um it even takes a look at uh, the difference between um, USB and FireWare on the different platforms, how you know, Windows has a better implementation of the USB um, than Mac does, and Fire Mac has a better implementation of FireWire than, than, uh, US than USB, so, or than, than, than Windows. So it's really interesting. Yeah, it's, it's, called, it's on Apple Insider. It's under the title Exploring Time Capsule, Theoretical Speed versus Practical Throughput. Now, another example is right now Yuri's MacBook supports uh, wireless N, and so is my wireless router, which I'm using as an access point right now. And it connects as a, as a maximum of 130 megabits per second. That's the, that's the theoretical uh, connect speed, which it is connecting at. However, with wireless, you not only do you have to worry about actual throughput, you have to worry about the wireless issues. Which the are related the packets of the wireless radio and all that. Mm -hmm. So I mean, well, that too. But like, if someone uses a microwave or if someone has a random video sender thing, that's gonna totally, totally, totally kill all your uh, network traffic. For example, if I turn on my wireless video sender, the router will start receiving, try to try attempting to receive the analog video as a packet, and it will just keep crashing and crashing and crashing. Yeah. So I mean, so, but I mean, wireless is very robust, but. Yeah. Um, it well, it tries to be. It will, it will still, you know, we don't have any clear way of diagnosing it. Unlike a TV 
or a um, you know a video center, like you said, you know when there's interference, you know it. But with with wireless, because it's sort of been adjusted, there's no you know the TCP/IP pro- protocol is always going to check itself. So I mean, it's not like you're going to get you know random web pages or random screwed up images. It's just going to wait until it can successfully communicate the mm-hmm. data. Because with uh, with computer networking, you can't get a can't get a half signal. Right. You, you either get the packet or you so don't get the packet. So they just resend it again. So, I mean, yeah. the speed lowers that way over wireless that way. Anyway, so I just want... Well, you should keep moving because we've just been talking about networking the whole time. Um, but, yeah, there's some cool ideas there. So, audio news. Um, we finally bought uh, the equipment we were going to buy for the downstairs at our church. Um, at, actually, as well as at our school. What else did we... Oh, what, what did we buy? Oh, a compressor. Yeah, we, yeah we, 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 we bought a compressor, compressor and the, the magic mm-hmm. of compressor compressing mm-hmm. and how amazing uh, it improves your sound quality. Um, what was the other thing? Uh, we bought and your headphones. Headphones. Okay, yeah. So um, my favorite headphones, I declare them my favorite because I've bought two pairs for different people and I'm buying my own pair very soon, is the Audio-Technica ATHM20. They're about 50 bucks. Um Great sound quality and really comfortable. They fit all over your ear, and they're just really good. So um, that's my favorite. <laughs> um, and then, uh, yeah, so we bought um, the DFX-12 for our church downstairs, um, Mackie DM- DFX-12. Um, observations. It doesn't Real- have a solo button. <laughs> I realized that, like, I was literally, just, like, standing there. I just unpacked it, and I was, like, going to try it out, and I was like, Oh, it doesn't have a solo button. Oh, okay. So, that, you know, whatever. But, uh, I, you know, really, we, we're, it's not like we really need that for downstairs. I mean, we just want something simple to use. Um, built-in effects. Uh, 12 has 10, 10 mic channels? Eight? It has uh, six mic channels. Six and mic channels. Uh, well, four of them are actual dedicated mic channels, which means that they have phantom power, and then the two remaining ones are shared uh, stereo or mic channels, which don't have phantom power because it would be weird to implement, I guess. So it's sort of like uh, usually our, our mixers have uh, or have six mic channels and then four stereo channels. The DFX12 just crams these together with two overlapping channels. Yeah. So um, we're... We're using that with, uh, there's a tape in, so we usually plug laptops in there. Um, we run various amounts of mics. You were supposed to get a direct input box, direct input yeah, box. Yeah, we bought point. an SM58, and then we ordered this, I don't know when, it, I don't know, it seems to haven't arrived yet. Uh, it's this really nice DI box from, I don't know what the maker is. Da-da-da, uh, I don't know. Anyways, um, it's, uh, it lets you plug in stereo um, and then it gives you dual XLR out. It's about $175, but uh, I def- I think it's worth it because really, I mean, that's one of the main things that we're always doing um, at, at our church. I mean, we're always plugging in a laptop to do a presentation, whether it's downstairs, it's upstairs. Um, we, we're always doing something along those lines. So, I mean, this would really offer us um, good quality uh, and we can basically plug in. It has like RCA, mini jack. It has everything, every consumer input you can yeah, imagine. Yeah, so basically your direct... Direct inject boxes is like an everything to XLR adapter. Exactly. Take everything from from uh, millivolt level signals to to 
direct from an amplifier output. And then, of course, it, it's balancing it so you can send it mm -hmm. for So obviously miles. a direct a DI box is, a, is useful for live sound more than recording usually when live, when you have to do long runs of cables through areas. It's really right. important to have balanced wire, whereas uh, I mean, you sometimes if you're doing local, like next to the mixer, you can you can just, you know, get away with it, yeah. plug it into line and it should be fine, but yeah. Yeah, so it's called the Radial JPC Stereo PC AV Consumer Electronics Direct Box. $170.56 at Axe Music. Um, it says it's in stock now, so we should be getting it any day now and I'll be able to give it a full review. Phantom powered, so uh, it you don't need any batteries or anything like that. Um, quarter inch, eighth inch, RCA, and lots of throughput connectors. So pretty cool. Even has a pad. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, that was our audio news. Oh, and oh. last thing is that Mackie came up with a new powered mixer. Mm -hmm. you so they have, the, they have the PPM 1012s along with the other PPM series ones. And basically Mackie's been coming up with... Uh, box style powered mixers which I really hate because it's They're totally so annoying. I know because it's just like a large no panel faders. in front of you and you have to do deal with like knobs for to everything. Be tilting your head to adjust it. It's horrible. We've all used them. So I'm happy they came up with a large flat table console style device which uh it has all the features of your normal of their normal compact mixers except it has a fast recovery series uh power amp built into it. Um it's rated at uh, 1,600 watts and is actually bridgeable, which is unlike our Yorkville, which you keep <laughs> complaining about. But uh, so basically, it's also it's it's also rack mountable. So if you had one of those uh, tilted racks at the top, you know, yeah, you ones. know what? If if this had come out earlier, I think we would have bought that for our church downstairs. It, there's no price on it, and it hasn't showed up in any of the stores. I don't know when it's gonna it will, but it looks like a really solid machine. Um, if you're looking for something mobile, I think it would be. Very, very good. Um, lots of AUX channels I can see. I'm looking over at Kevin's computer. Mm -hmm. So um, it has a 12 total channels, 8 are mic channels. So this is more of a live sound, live sound mixer. Yeah. So uh, 9, 10, 11, 12 are all stereo. As usual, you have your tape. It's a uh, relatively high headroom. It's about 15, 18-ish until it clips, which is, which is actually pretty good. Um, the tape in? No, for the, for the entire the summing bus. For the entire summing bus with the mixer, and also has uh, effect processors, which so are it's not plus four. No, what do you mean? Well, I didn't say that. I just um, see usually on our mixers it goes up to plus twenty. It goes up to yeah. plus twenty or yeah. and beyond before it starts really clipping, right? Yeah, yeah. These ones have slightly lower, so it's about eighteen ish. Oh, okay, okay, it's not bad. It's the same with as the DFX twelve that you have, um, and this one has. Uh, so these all have uh, okay. Actually, no the. The last two mic channels also have high impedance channels, so you can, if you have a guitar, you can also plug it in directly without a direct box if you happen to not have one. Also, it has uh, two channels for effects, and it's all digital now, so instead of being like random knob, you have to look up numbers. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it has a... Mm -hmm. Which, uh, having a digital thing is easy, because then, usually on, on mixers, you have a giant knob, and it has like all the, all the ABC, effects D, listed EFG. next to it, right? Yeah. And that takes up a lot of space, for which you could be using for knobs. And wait, 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 wait. So, yeah, so it doesn't have that? What do you mean? No, you, it, it just has numbers, and you have to look it up on a sheet of... You know, just have to look it up on a sheet of paper. Instead of having it listed on, on the board itself. Well, that's annoying. Well, anyway, good for savings. I think the useful thing is that um, they actually 
they're actually useful effects. I think a lot of them. Well, it depends what you consider. Well, they're trying to they're trying to limit these to useful effects, not some S- random thing. Some that, manufacturers just like to put in random effects just to have well, more effects. Yeah, and that's one thing. But I think you know it really depends on your usage. If you're going to be using it as a live sort of for mixing bands and stuff like that, you want things like a compressor, you know, gate limit limiter, whatever. Um, and not all these sort of like, you know, ghost effect, blah, blah, blah. You know, and those are useful because, um, you know, things like reverb, it really does add a certain amount. Like I know we're doing this <laughs> apocalyptic sound for one of the one acts that we're going to talk about in a little sec. Um, and so I'm going to be using that on our built-in board. Anyway, but anyway, so. uh, it has a individual, uh, it has a four LED channel meter for each individual channel, which is actually pretty useful. And it's very fader-centric. Like, uh, even the all the effects and monitors are all controlled by faders instead of being uh, potentiometers on normal mixers. So, yeah. so, And also, this one has tons of outputs, as they usually do, and it also has a mono output in case you need to have, in case you need to mix which everything is nice down. Because yeah. um, the other day, we were using the DFX-12, and we, haven't, we're, we need to fix the amp situation because the cabling is just so messed up with the speakers in, uh, in our basement. Which we'll be um, trying to look yeah, at. Yeah, we're going to be doing that tomorrow. tomorrow. The day after uh, tomorrow. Day after tomorrow. Well, tomorrow, technically, because it's Tuesday. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, da, 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 da. So, yeah, I was doing stereo in, stereo in from a st- Xbox, and it was Guitar Hero. And what Guitar Hero does is they put, um, like, if there's two players, left is, it, they only do left, like, left is left player one and right is player two. So you only got to hear the guitar of player one. And there's no way of summing the buses down to stereo without bridging it manually or whatever. Or do par- doing parallel mono. Yeah, so it was off. kind of annoying. So yeah, that feature would be an, would be nice if you want to sum sum it sum it down to a mono bus. Mm-hmm. So this doesn't ha- actually have a control control room output as some of the normal uh, the VLZ three series. But ones I mean, do, that's a powered mixer. You, yeah. You're a not powered mixer is usually designed for room designed. Yeah. 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 Anyway, okay. So now that we agree <laughs> that it's no pricing on that, but uh, we'll let you know once there is. Okay. So we're gonna talk a little bit about my J quad. Uh, my Hackintosh project. So I've been running it on Windows Vista for the past, like, I don't know, two months. Well, I tried to convince you to use a Adobe Suite. Yeah, I installed Adobe running. Suite. Um, I used it. I did the whole documercial on it. No, actually, I should, no, I totally did not. I, u- I did the whole DVD and the cover design and stuff in InDesign and Encore. Um, you know, whatever. I didn't love it. Encore enraged me several times. Because of several user interface quirks. Which we will debate for hours on end, but I don't want to do that. But basically, the thing was... Okay, here's my question to you listeners, and you can email um, duck at joel.ca if you have any feedback regarding this. If a feature is shown as grayed out, as in disabled... So, for example, in the interface for Encore, there's... um, You can turn... Copy protection to CSS, and then there's like another option, or off. So you would assume that when you're when these are radio buttons, if you click on off in the radio button, and were to, you know, you have off is selected, and there's a there's a drop down list beside the CSS for you know different types of CSS. And if you if that's selected, it's disabled. Okay, it's grayed out, and then it's set to off. 
what would that result in? Would you expect it to be no copy protection and just blank, or you know, just straight out? Or would you expect there to be actual copy protection on the DVD that you burned? Well, I assume that it would be, you know, if the radio box is to off, I would assume there would be none. Anyways, wrong. In Encore, you would have to select it down, re-enable it, turn it to no copy protection, and then turn it back to off before it decides to leave your DVD without copy protection. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, copy protection isn't like whatever, but it screws up all your burning processes. So it screws up every bits, and we're so we're trying to figure out what the heck was with the ISO images that it was producing. Well, because of the copy protection, it usually usually. Uh when it you're runs, pressing DVDs, yeah, we learned a DVDs, lot. Yeah. We, yeah, we learned a lot about how, how all the discs work, or at least I didn't. I don't know. So you know how the bits worked and the copy. Because uh, copy protection is in the header track. Yeah. Now, if you buy blank DVDs, those are already pre-recorded at the factory when they stamp it. So, so you can't, burn, you can't re-burn that part. Yeah. And so, copy protection just works between that. So basically, it makes really large ISOs for devices which are meant to do the beginning track as well. Mm -hmm. However. For normal burn DVDs, you want to deal with 2048 tracks. Right. So it was a pretty confusing bug. Mm -hmm. I say, call it, say it's a bug and a dumb feature. Mm -hmm. Kevin seems to think that it's perfectly well, normal user I don't interface. Agree. I don't agree. Okay, right now you, I'm streaming the entire podcast using Oddcast. Okay, I like it. But for I configuration, for configuration, that, you can, okay, that you can interface type, just yeah, really you know. ticked me off. For example, here you, ha you can type in your station name, but you need to check the public server. Now, if you don't want to make it public, it grays out the entire row of input boxes. However, it still applies because you have it not public. In here, it still yeah, but applies. What would it it's, apply it, it's, to? It's an effect, but it's in gray, it's grayed out. So okay, see, that's one of these things. Like, you know, like you see examples kind of, of this happening me everywhere. With with Windows, there's no clear user interface and guidelines. So I mean, anything goes for whatever you want to say. A a, a radio button is whatever you want to say. A checkbox does. What a grayed out. It doesn't matter. Anything goes, and it really annoys me. That you know, I just found found that completely. And ridiculous. basically, we're just we're just hoping that um, it's it's something that was but done by accident, or maybe the programmer forgot, forgot it about it. Just, I hope it wasn't it intentional. Was ridiculous. Okay. It was ridiculous. Anyways, yeah. anyway, so that actually, was you know yeah. that was my Vista experience. I actually, really one of like the realizations it. we've had is. Whenever I'm near a Macintosh, I, I manage to blow all the things up. And when Joel's near a Windows PC, tap I blow everything up. up too. So we just, you know, we we're just better off staying on our own platforms. Um, so as a result, so I went out and bought a, a new GPU. I bought the XFX GeForce um, 8500 GT. Um, it's a bit of a weird series. It was like 50 bucks. So I mean, it was like. You know, I'm very happy for what I what I got for fifty bucks. Um, it works beautifully in in uh, OS X eighty six. Um, I actually the fir I, when I first got, it, I installed everything. Everything went really well. Actually, no, it didn't. <laughs> um, what happened was I shoved. Your, your, I shoved your okay, interface look, cables were randomly broken. Yeah, my interface cables that came with the Asus motherboard, they they weren't notched. So I just sort of shoved it in one direction, not realizing that they weren't notched, and then, you know, sort of any direction. Can... Why is the phone ringing at, like, 1 a.m.? I don't know. Anyway, so not realizing it wasn't notched, um, and it just sort of, like... Well, the thing is, usually when you, when you plug in an ID... one of the pins into the outside. So not realizing this, I'm like, okay, whatever, because I was installing some new fans in the case and blah, blah, blah. And um, so I'm like... Dying, I'm trying, like, everything in the world. I've replaced the DVD-ROM drive, like, 
10 times with like 10 different drives. Nothing's worked. I've reburned the DVD twice. I've, you know, changed every possible BIOS configuration. And so then I was reading one of the forum posts and, I was, and it was saying that, you know, the Asus motherboard had this weird thing where the cables weren't notched and you could shove one of the pins out. Do you mean and keys? sure enough. Do you mean keyed? Yeah, notched. Let's see, the thing is, all the Asus motherboard IDE ATA cables I've encountered do have that feature. For I don't know. I don't really don't know what you. Well, also, the, the CD-ROM miss- drives yeah. only hard drive okay. ones, like hard whatever the different. I guess CD-ROM drives they don't deserve to be notched. I don't know. No, no. no. Well, the Key. thing is, I my policy is I always use the eighty pin cables, the new eighty pin cables with all anything that I'm. Yeah, using I don't for. know what the difference is. I so I just sort of took whatever said CD-ROM. Okay, you might have whatever. gotten the forty pin ones, which are older and might not have complied with. I guess so. Anyways, it was ridiculous. It took me like literally a week and a half to figure that out. Finally got OS X installed. Works beautifully with the GPU. Mm-hmm. Um, really, uh, I'm so impressed. Um, I think OS X is best experienced with quad-core processing and a decent GPU. Um, I've been trying to edit HD on my MacBook um, and using iMovie you know, for the past year and a half. Um, and it just doesn't cut it. It's really beautiful. I mean, I can just import... 1920 by 1080, straight into Final Cut or iMovie, whatever. It just, you know, there's no hesitation at all. It's really amazing. Um, So I think if you're ever debating whether to go with integrated graphics or dedicated graphics, it's best just to spend, you know, the money now. Well, and, I, th- and get I, I think that I think integrated versus dedicated was was settled a long time ago. Oh, I know, but I mean, really, the difference in terms of Mac OS X is is just amazing so you know it's it's really something you want to focus on because of your problems of dvd drives i think you're hoping that sata goes and takes over all the all the interfaces yeah, in the near future yeah, i would prefer sata yes yes um so yeah i'm really enjoying uh imovie um 08 it works properly with dedicated graphics enjoying final cut studio uh motion is great everything about it in on a quad core is great. So, however, that's when it's my running Windows, review. yeah, but it's when when it's running Windows, it's doing video is still a pain. You think, eh? I've you know I benchmark I benchmarked Vista without the GPU, and of course everything was blowing up then because the DVD drive blew up because I had re. Anyways, whatever. Um, in if I compared before and after with the GPU in in Premiere. There was like no difference. It w- it's like I don't think it even takes advantage of the GPU. I don't know what was up. Like the rendering was a joke. I tried doing, I I brought in like a million photos and hucked it in HD 1080p project, and it just sort of sat there and just sort of rendered for like f- 40 minutes. And remember, and of, of course for the doc commercial, we had to come up with many versions of it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So this is our next topic. We're, we'll move away from yeah. sort of the J quad. So um yeah we we uh I've been working away we recorded um probably about 20 or 30 hours of HD content HD footage um for this documentary project that we were doing uh sort of documenting the um musical experience uh, it's hard, it's hard to describe uh, musical not musical it's like a, a play we uh, in in December we did a big uh, production of Guys and Dolls the musical, um, and so we sort of documented that in in a sort of advertising way I, I, you could say. Um, so, anyways, in doing so, self promotion. Um, just put it that way. <laughs> yeah, we we're, we're looking at sort of showing other people 
what we do, um, both the technical side and the the uh, the performing side, um, and just sort of taking a look at that. So, but anyway, technical. And anyway, so technically, and so we did this all in final. I did this all in Final Cut Express, um, four hours to render each time. So any time, like I wanted to render the whole thirty-five minute video. It took about four hours. And, of course, at that time, J-Quad was running Vista. J-Quad wasn't running. It didn't have a GPU. So it was all on the MacBook. Four hours. It was, it was, it was painful. So, okay. your lap. So, actually, no. What I do is I set up, because all the video was on um, my, my book, and then it was connected via FireWire, and then I would just sort of put it down on the floor with sort of, um, you know, some of those AC sort of power outlets, power... Um, plugs for like Apple adapters underneath the legs so that there was sort of space in between the carpet and my MacBook for ventilation and then sort of turn all the displays off, close it and put it away and then just sort of let it run for the night. And so that took four hours and then, okay, so that's pretty painful. Now, what's even more painful is when you've just finished rendering four hours, you watch the whole video, everything's perfect, but there's a spelling mistake in someone's name, so you have to change it and then render for another four hours. And what's even more painful is once you've exported it, rendered it, done everything, sent it to DVD, copied 20 DVDs, and then realized that there were still two more spelling mistakes. <laughs> so uh, we printed out lots of... So, yeah, we made a bunch of corrections. <laughs> it wasn't a super big deal because, I mean, whatever. People don't really but care. But we eventually much, came up with uranium, which so, was our yeah, final, our final, final. Because <laughs> <laughs> what happened is we made RTM gold and then... That had errors, so we did RTM platinum, and then that had errors. So then platinum or RTM uranium is the version that no one no one has. Only we have. But we did use it for the. But pre- we did for use the for the final pre- pre- when we did a world premiere in the theater of the of the documentals. So no, it didn't. Why did it have errors? No, the, the final one that that came out didn't have any errors. Yuri says there's errors. I don't think there was. Anyways. So, yeah, we already talked about Encore being ridiculous. Mm-hmm. School video protection. Skill Canada? GL2. Um, we're just talking about GL2. Okay. Um, so, our school finally gave in and finally decided to buy us a camera. It's not oh, the... Compromise? X, yeah, it was. it's not the XHJ1 that we wanted. Um, no HD for us, mm-hmm. <laughs> but whatever. I mean, it's it's a very nice camera, Canon GL2. Um, it's arriving about two weeks um, when Hopefully. people get the order forms and blah, blah, blah in. Um, and that'll be pretty exciting. So, with that news, um, we're also going, I and another friend of mine are going to Skills Canada, and Kevin is going in a separate event, which he will talk to you about in a sec. Um, so, we're doing video production, and what this lets us do is they, they, you bring your own camera and sort of tripod and all that, and then they give you a Mac, and they tell you to go make a video. And so, you have two days, 18 hours, to come up with sort of an ad. And it's usually, because it's, Skills Canada is a huge organization with all these different events, um, video production being one of them. There's also web design and, and lots of trades like automotives and, and welding and all that. And so usually it's something to do with the trades. They give you an, a topic about that, and you sort of make a promotional video for it. So that should be pretty fun. Um, it's, it's in Calgary, so we get to travel down there and stay and hang out and have lots of fun. So that should be pretty good. And uh, we'll get to use a new camera, hopefully. I mean... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Unless there's some ridiculous delay. And Kevin's going in for IT and network support. 
So I guess uh, last last week we finally officially registered for the event, so that's in. And uh, basically, uh, I've been working on my network skills just to meet the criteria. And basically, actually, the the network overhaul I was talking about earlier was actually part of a an, an, an attempt to improve my knowledge about uh, business grade networking because I have to configure one of the requirements is to configure a Cisco switch and have set up VLAN spanning trees and all that. Is that actually one of the requirements? It is actually one of the requirements. So that's that's why I'm getting a Linksys switch. No, I'm not going to drop three thousand on a Cisco router as much I, as I'd I, like I to. I can't imagine how that would be a requirement because I mean they only give you two or three computers to set up. Yeah, well, that's interesting. It's one of the requirements, and uh, basically all the requirements are relating to Windows Server 2003. So they're trying to turn me into ooh, Windows sysadmin because I have lots of experience in Linux. I bought not... a Windows Server 2003 book. Yeah, it's disgusting. <laughs> But yeah, I know I had I usually have more experience in Linux and actually but the thing is all the Linux people all all the people that have to do Linux are the post secondary and uh, they get to do work with Fedora which is something I know very well because I've been using that since 2005 but whatever I wonder what will happen if I try and do both <laughs> if I get get all the Windows stuff figured out and as well as a uh, as Linux but anyway um and also uh, the post secondary Post-secondary people get to set up, uh, they get to set up wireless as well as uh, configure a router, which is that's fun. yeah, that's fun. But I get, to, I don't get to do that apparently. So <laughs> this event is apparently uh, separate from post-secondary. So whatever. Yeah. So uh, yes, yeah, goes Canada. It sounds like it could be fun. It should be fun. Yeah. I hope so I win at least provincials. Yeah, you get and to. And I'm gonna because I, I learn by doing experiences. I learn by doing. That's why I'm gonna get the equipment, practice on it. Do lots and yeah. So that's yeah. one of the things that you get to do is you start uh, doing the regionals. So you start. Um, it's kind of a weird system because I mean, like everybody in the province participates in Calgary for regionals, and then if you win that, you go to provincials, which is in the same place, but it's still like it's it makes no sense. Like if you think about it, like why everybody's going to Calgary for the regionals, it doesn't make any sense. But whatever. Um, so we go to Calgary, there's the first, uh, regionals, and then you go to provincials the ne- like two days later, if you win for your event. Um, I guess that must be, oh, provincials would be like people from Manitoba coming. Okay. That makes right, more okay. sense. Makes yeah. more sense. Yeah. Um, and then after that, if you win that, you get to go to nationals. So you get to go team Canada and there's all, there's all, no, cause that would be nationals. No, there's and then that's worlds. Apparently, oh yeah, there's then there's like world skills, whatever in I don't like get Finland it. or whatever. Anyways, I guess we'll see. I guess we, we don't win. know about that. I haven't even been we'll to one of these win. competitions before. I actually don't I would, know how it's going to work for the two day thing. What, yeah. it, what do you do? Just like work until before. you. Yeah, no, you just yeah. work. You, they give you, it's two over two days. They just let you work forever. No, 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 no. It's you. You stop at a certain point. You stop okay. for lunch for an right. hour or whatever, and they give you lunch usually. Anyways. I think we've talked about this as a previous episode. Slightly, so but we'll now we've had some more developments and we're yeah, just okay, updating whatever. people about it. Anyway, yeah. So um, <laughs> the other thing we're involved in right now is the Billions of One Acts. Our school has a One Act Play Festival. Um, Which are just multiple smaller plays compared to the... <laughs> well, some play. of them are small. Some of them are bigger. Yeah. <laughs> um, last year, we I was doing them. Kevin wasn't at our school yet, but we did... Uh, just tons of plays, and it's been really, it's always a really great experience um, to go. Uh, our school is hosting um, the Zones, so that's going to be major. After, 
you know, basically as tech tech workers, um, we're either doing lighting or sound. Kevin and I are sound specialists, so we're doing mostly sound. Um, so it involves figuring out when lighting is on stage for the different actors and and what, whatever scenes going on. Sound is usually sound effects. I mean, if there's a if there's a phone ringing or whatever. But one of the things that we've been w- looking at is like, uh, so and also music before and after the show. One of the things that we're doing. Uh, the unique things is that one of the groups is actually a one-act musical. So we'd be playing uh, music for them. Um, they don't have an orchestra, so it would be sort of a MIDI sort of software that would be playing back. And then there would also be need to the microphone all the actors for that are singing, so there's all that. And in addition to any sound effects, and um, we're also using the projector to project... Um, rain onto the scene so it's your full multimedia experience it's, it's a full <laughs> mit- multimedia experience that we're providing and, and joel's solution to some of the more complex plays is to do multi-channel into a mixture and then do yeah physical so control one of that. the shows and i i'm still sort of planning out how this is going to work because i really i just sort of thought of it and was like this would be cool and then i was like oh how well is it actually going to work um but i'm gonna because one of the plays is sort of this looking at the apocalypse and um, revolutionizing and blah, blah, blah. It's actually written by one of the grade 12 drama students. And it's this really, really eccentric play. So um, one of the things that's always happening is there's always sort of these different soundscapes that are developing. Um, It's never quite the same all the time. You know, the director is never sure exactly what's going to be going on. Um, and so if I were to cue that, it would be fine, um, but it would just take a lot of work, and it probably would get kind of boring. Um, so this way, what I'll be doing is I'll have a bunch of different effects that I'll mix together on the fly. So, I, I mean, a lot of the reoccurrence is like crowds and sirens and then, you know, low rumblings of sort of... Uh, the arrival of the apocalypse. And so I could have those all loaded into separate channels, playing back, looping on the mixer, and then I could add them in as sort of the scene progresses. So that should be interesting. Um, And then Quartz Composer, uh, which is sort of this Macintosh, uh, it's this GUI um, graphics design environment. And it's it's three-dimensional, so you can work with... uh, you know, X, Y, and Z dimensions. Um, it's really neat because everything is very high resolution. It's all uh, vector-based. Really awesome pro- product, and it's completely free. You can download it. It's part of the uh, Apple development kit, um, so you can download that from Apple's developer website, and it's called Quartz Composer. Um, so that's been really neat. I've generated um, one composition that looks like rain and that I can project on with the projector onto the stage and it looks like this rain is coming down for this particular scene in uh, Once on This Island is the one I can play. So, you know, and as usual, QLab wins. Um, Kevin still hates it, but because uh, he touches Macintoshes and they cry. Um, <laughs> uh, QLab can actually play those Quartz Composer files right off, so that's a bonus. You don't have to render them or anything like that. So that's one uh, X. Mm-hmm. We also fixed our snake. Our snake got railroaded. There's this sort of divider between um, the front of stage and sort of the back. And uh, 
someone just like they're not people aren't supposed to close them like it's not designed to be closed we haven't closed them in years people decide to close it of course the snake being right underneath so it got totally annihilated like five of the channels just got totally snipped so we spent you know a good two hours rewiring the whole snake luckily it was only a few feet that we lost so that was an interesting experience. Mm-hmm. So we'll just uh, keep the remnants of the snake as a reminder yeah. to why you shouldn't what keep not to do forcing to what you why you sh- shouldn't keep forcing doors to close when they're jammed on wires and stuff. Yeah. Anyways, so if you're out there, mm-hmm. you decide to close the stage door. It didn't close. Yeah, and we lost a bag of sand chips. Next, <laughs> we awesomeness. And no, we're not talking about ourselves. We're talking about the Nintendo Wii. Yes, I know. It's this been is released very like light. four years ago. I don't know. It's, it's quite old. Yuri's look, look, looks like he has something to say about the Wii. It's about a year old now. Okay, fine. A year. No, it's more than a year. It's been it like two Christmas seasons. No, it's been one year. Okay, so fine. It's, you know, HTR two year, Wii one year, Wii one year. Anyway, so we've been enjoying the Wii puns all night. We, we, Yuri brought his Wii over. Um, so one of the interesting things is the awesome... You know, one of the things I kept comparing it to is the iPhone. Um, it has this really neat interface. So instead of having multi-touch, you have, like, multi-physical Multi-wave. gyroscopic movement. So, you, of course, you have the, the Wiimotes that are gyroscopic control, blah, blah, blah. But I, I noticed that one of the features is this, uh, this news uh, reader in one of the Wii channels. And you can grab the globe using your Wiimote and sort of spin it around. And the, the news well, I've got mail. News stories will show up on the globe, and you can sort of click on them. And it's really fast because it's got a GPU, a really good GPU built in. And you can sort of click on things, and images show up. And it's just really neat because it's web-enabled. Web um, and we Saber. Yuri? Um, so, yeah. Um, one of the things that has kind of disappointed me is I don't think a lot of games have really taken advantage of um, the Wii features. For example, uh, Super Smash Brothers Brawl doesn't actually do anything with the motion sensing. Which is ridiculous. It yeah, uses the um, nunchuck. It could totally um, make more effective use of that. Um, one really neat thing, this wasn't an official game, but was rather an independent programmer, was he said that... M- most scenes, like on a television, um, when you move around, it doesn't actually change. So it's kind of like a picture, he said. Like if you, in real life, if you ch- walk around something, your perspective of it, of it is going to change. But if you're just looking at a two-dimensional picture of it, uh, that's not going to happen. But he says with the Wii, you can actually do this. Um, and what he, he did a demonstration of a, just a little sample program he wrote. It was a room filled with targets. And the image on the screen would actually change depending on his position. And it was really neat. And the th- because of the, he felt, well, he did a video from his perspective and the targets actually looked like they were coming out of the screen and in kind of a 3D space because of the perspective change. Um, so I think that would be really interesting to see implemented in games. Now, of course, you'd actually have to have kind of a different screen or goggles for each player since, I mean, it'll this perspective will look really realistic to you, but someone standing somewhere else, it'll just look like garbage. Yeah, I think it would be really nice if we could see more developers taking advantage of the Wii's features. Mm -hmm. 
So that's the Wii. Also, yeah, Wii Saber. We were playing. Uh, you can connect your Wiimote to your computer uh, via Bluetooth and uh, swing it around with this application called Wii Saber on the Mac. It's similar um, to Mac Saber. Sort similar of? to Mac Saber. Same developer. It's the exact same concept, and it, it'll sound like a lightsaber as you twist it. You can even use the B button, which is sort of the trigger on the Wiimote, and it'll sort of eject the saber. And it's, it's pretty cool. Uh, okay, breaking news. Um, okay, I don't know if there's any breaking news or not. I need to check. Um, Google has not simulated a massive failure for April Fool's. Yes, they do. It's called The Adventures of Many Lifetimes, applied to be a Virg- Virgil? Virgil pioneer. Um, so it looks like Google's annual April Fool's joke is uh, this. What is this? Yeah, so you can apply with Google in conjunction with Virgin to uh, explore uh, Mars and live on Mars. So uh, this is, uh, you heard it first here on the Duck Podcast. That is if you download it at 2 a.m. So I guess at 1 a.m. they're going by uh, Pacific Time, which is where they are. Oh, yeah, because it's 1 a.m. So there you go. You can uh, enjoy that over on Google.com slash (laughs) Virgil. Yeah, let's submit it. Yeah, I'm sure somebody's been tracking it. Okay, so uh, I think that's pretty much it, except for our pick of the month. Um, My pick of the month uh, for the Apple platform is Quartz Composer. So, uh, yeah, if you can get that off developer kit, as long as you have an Apple account, you can register with the developer program and download the Xcode 3.0 tools. Kind Kind of a huge download. It's like two or three gigs. Um, so no minor thing. Speaking of the minor th- download, I need to reload that so we can download it over Kevin's fast connection. Um, <laughs> and iMovie 08, again, I've rediscovered this application as a great 16 by 9 editor. Um, I made this sort of video uh, just using these random clips from the cell phone, like really crappy video. Um, but iMovie just manages it all so well, upscales it to 16 by 9. I can upload that to Facebook and it looks great in the native player. So, you know, really a great program um, once you learn how to use it and it's properly responsive with a proper system. Kevin, what is your pick of the week? Well, my pick, uh, my software pick is a VSO Image Resizer, which is a, which is a tool to batch resize your images because I keep getting complaints from people when I send 12 megapixel images through email to everyone. It takes forever to download. Except, okay, I'd like to know, did you just block my Wi-Fi? No, I did not. Yes, you did. No, I did not. You're evil. <laughs> you're so evil. <laughs> anyway. As, anyway, as if you're even using the internet. I'm anyways, not, my I'm point being... Okay. Um, anyways, Batchroom is resized. You're the one who's always complaining when we send you like a one megabyte MP3 and you're like, ah, you're killing my inbox. I know, but it's because images can be bit served and your MP3s can't really be streamed if you just send an MP3 by itself. That's why it really doesn't, yeah, doesn't it work. Can. But anyway... Yeah, um, you're crazy. Anyway, this is a it's a it's a replacement for the Windows XP Power Tools. Remember, Power Tools that Microsoft came out with, they actually had a, a right click to resize images. This is a replacement for that because Vista doesn't doesn't really have Power Tools yet. Uh, yeah, yeah. So um, it, it does the same thing. It's I, you can save a default 
it can also transfer EXIF data, and actually it can sometimes it can preserve preserve your aspect ratio of the images. But I don't like it because it's a bit it's it tells you too much about what it's doing. Like I'd rather just like resize the images and just get the heck out of there. Instead, I have to acknowledge every single image that gets resized, and it's like all the images have been resized. Okay, so I'm like, okay, fine. And there's no way to turn that off as far as I know, but I guess that's fine. But I've been using it for quite a while now, and it actually works very well. It hasn't blown up any images. Very that's configurable, good. yeah. Good. I wonder if Yuri has a software pick. Yuri, what's your software pick of the week? Yuri's playing with Wii Saber over there, and uh, let me see if you can get the mic. That's, that's the Wii Saber. And, and, and Yuri's creating a lot of damage, smashing his Wiimote into everything. <laughs> the Wiimotes come in rubber for a reason, you know. Yeah, it's pretty neat. You're supposed to keep that on. <laughs> Not just packaging. So that's anyway, it yeah. for, for this week. Um, I'm Joel Adria from J-O-L-E dot C-A. Kevin Lau from HDR Networks. And Yuri is having fun of... With Wii Saber. Yuri is Wii Saber. <laughs> okay, acronym game for Wii. Wireless Windows in Intelligent Idiots of Daggers. Okay, uh, what? Yeah. Wireless Internet 